Welcome to the HSCT Warriors Podcast, bringing voice to the journeys of HSCT Warriors Worldwide. I'm Dr. Jen Stansberry Koenig, or Zen Jen, moderator of meaningful conversations and convener of community. As we continue to grow the HSCT Warrior Community, illuminate the invisibilities of autoimmune disease, recognize the possibilities of a future free from disease progression, connect through our shared experiences, and advocate for an inclusive society. I'm so glad you've joined us. So welcome back, Dwayne. It's so great to connect with you again. Yeah, I'm glad that we can connect again. Indeed. And I'm just curious to know more about your experience in Cleveland because I've seen, you know, the snippets on Facebook. And I know you had a bit of an extended tour. And so being patient number one, I think also listeners are just curious to learn more. Yeah. Uh, Well, I was very excited to be patient number one. Yes, such an Um, honor, right? It's, It's exciting. It was. And, you know, I remember when I went back, like after the stem cell collection, when I went back, I had to sign some more paperwork. And I looked at Dr. Michel, which he is the doctor that was in charge of the whole transplant process. Sure. And I said to him, I said, am I still the first patient to have this done at the Cleveland Clinic? And he said, of course, of course. (laughs) And I said, well, I will sign on the dotted line then. Mm. (laughs) And he just thought that was so funny, you know, that because I acted like I wasn't going to sign it if I wasn't the first person still. (laughs) So. Well, because Um, it took some kind of working around, right, in order for you to be accepted off trial. Yes, it did. And, you know, I have had a lot of questions um, directly through Facebook Messenger, where people have messaged me and said, you know, well, they want to know, who do I contact? How do I get an appointment? You know, So I keep passing along Dr. Cohen's information because I did talk to him and he did, he said, you know, this is the best way for them to get an appointment, which basically is their main number. And he said, you know, we'll just evaluate from there. So I don't know like how those appointments are going for everyone. I can only speak from my own experience through the process. But if you listen to my last podcast interview with you, the thing that happened with me was very, uh, to me, I think it was very unique because Dr. Cohen was not originally my neurologist at Cleveland Clinic. Right. I had a different neurologist. And when I had a flare after my small accident, we had a disagreement with how things should have happened and what the next steps were going to be. And he wanted to make that right. So he said, you can see anyone in, you know, 
in the department to get a second opinion right. and I won't let them see your chart, you know? So anyways, um, through that misunderstanding, that's how I ended up with Dr. Cohen. And I think that's important to point out, right? Because people may be trying to call and to get an appointment and maybe it's just yeah. not working out for them within the system yet. Right. Right. So I think, and this is what I've told some people that have contacted me, I think the key is not calling and saying, oh, I'm interested in HSCT. Can I get an appointment with Dr. Cohen? I, I, don't, I don't think that that's really the route that everyone should go. I, I don't even know if you'd be successful at getting an appointment. But isn't that odd? Yeah. So I think that the better route to go is to just maybe express that you're interested in a second opinion mm. and that and and through that statement you can say and I'm considering I'm looking into I'm wanting to uh, go through about, yeah HSCT that way you're not immediately bombarding them with this is the only reason that I'm seeing you. Right. Well, it seems that way. Yeah. In Chicago, even I remember those initial appointments were truly to get that second opinion. Right. And it, some people might say, well, I feel like that I'm lying. You know, I feel like I'm lying to the doctor because that's really not why I'm here. I'm right. really trying to get this appointment because I want HSCT. <laughs> right. Honestly, isn't that all of our goal? I mean, you know, like, all of us that want to stop this disease, isn't that our ultimate goal is that we want to have HSCT done? Right. If it's appropriate. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, in my approach, I was seeing Dr. Cohen for a second opinion. But honestly, in my mind, I was seeing Dr. Cohen because I wanted HSCT and I knew that he was in charge of the clinical trial that mm. they were doing. So I went and seen Dr. Cohen and we did discuss the clinical trial and I never told him in the beginning that I did not want to do the trial and all the way up to becoming qualified for the trial. And of course we had COVID hit. So that threw a bunch of, you know, wrenches sure. into the mix too. Um, so all the way up to that point, we were going down the clinical trial route. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, you would think as much research as I had done that I would read all the fine print in the trial, <laughs> but I did miss a couple things. And one of his fellows, when we discussed it, pointed that out. And I think you and I did talk about that in the last podcast. So, you know, and that was when I realized you know, everything about the placebo and how that worked. I just decided that I could not honestly participate in the clinical trial. Right. So, knowing that, yeah, you're taking the knowing chance. Knowing that. Mm -hmm. So then, you know, even though I said no to the trial, I told him in an email conversation that we had, I said, but I still want to pursue HSCT because I feel like that is the best treatment option based upon this last MRI that you had done. 
And he did not disagree with me. Uh, He was like, yeah, I do believe this is an option, but we're going to have to, at this point, we're going to have to turn this over to your insurance company and see what they say. So like I've said in many, many posts that I've had online, Mm. and I have talked to Dr. Cohen and I have talked to Dr. Michelle, and I basically have told them, I don't know what you told the insurance company or exactly what you submitted to them. And, and they claim, well, we were just honest. You know, we, ju- we just posted what was showing up in your MRI and how your disease was progressing. That, that's all we did. Like to them, they didn't do anything special. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't like they finagled anything to make it work. Interesting. But my insurance company did approve the procedure on the first try. Fantastic. Yeah. So no denial, didn't have to go through that process, which I am extremely grateful for. But on the flip side, for those that have had a denial and still successfully gotten the treatment, I think that that is awesome that they continue to pursue it, even though their insurance company said no. Indeed. So that is how I approached the whole thing. I mean, I was not completely closed off to the trial. It's just that when I read the details in the fine prints, and I think at this point, a lot of people are more educated on the trial. So there's a lot of people out there that still want HSCT, but they do not want to even fool with the clinical trial. Mm hmm. But I think if you get an appointment to see Dr. Cohen and you explain that to him, that you're you're not interested in the trial and why you're not interested in the trial, he is a very understanding man. And I don't think he's going to look at you and say, well, that's just dumb or we really don't want to do this off trial for you because we'd rather you participate in the trial. Like he's not going to do that. His philosophy, actually all of Cleveland Clinic, every doctor that I've talked to there, and I have many up there now, <laughs> um, their, their philosophy is what can we do to make things better together? So they're not making a decision for you, and they're not asking you to make a decision alone. They want to make these decisions for your health. They want to make them together. That's wonderful. Yeah. And I wish every hospital was like that. Yeah. I wish every physician was like that. I think that we would have much better health care if you had doctors that were more focused on getting that patient healed, getting their illness, uh, disease, whatever it is, um, getting them better together instead of being more focused on, well, you know what, I think they'd be better off on this drug because, you know, and we all know the re- the things behind that. And I'm not going to go into that sure. because we all know, you know, <laughs> we, we know that sometimes physicians, they get a little bit of pocket money. We're just going to, that's where I'm going to leave that at. Right. <laughs> but anyways, so I never got that impression from anyone in Cleveland. I didn't. Which is phenomenal. And so your journey began, gosh, how many months ago now? Let me think. 
I had the accident in 18. I saw Dr. Cohen in 19. Or no, no, no. I saw Dr. Michelle in 19. And then in December of 19 is when I switched to Cohen. So my first visit with Cohen was January of 2020. So that's been a year and <laughs> a year Three, and two months. yeah, two months ago. Yeah. Yeah. So COVID really put some uncertainty on how things were going to happen. Sure. And I was impressed that even though COVID was out there, that Cleveland was not, Cleveland Clinic was not afraid to do this procedure, even when the, when COVID kept getting worse and worse, they never flinched. They were not, they were not afraid. They They were were like confident in their protocols. Yes, they were. They were very confident. So even though there kept being delays, and I believe a lot of those delays, and just from what I read on Cleveland's website, I think a lot of those delays was just the people in other positions and the teams coming together to say, okay, well, this is what's happening with COVID. So what protocols do we need to put in place now? Mm-hmm you know, what procedures are we going to do versus what procedures should we avoid? You know, they made decisions and and moved forward with the things that they could continue to move forward with. You know, now that I look back, I think that that was a lot of the delays that I was experiencing and even a lot of the uncertainties that were going on because they weren't sure either until they met together and said, what can we do and what can we not do? Sure. So how did that feel at the time? Well, at the time, it was it was frustrating because I kept thinking, well, the pandemic is getting worse. Right. <laughs> More people are dying. You keep hearing locally of people that needed to have procedures done and they were canceled right. or delayed. So I felt like, well, the, these things that they are canceling has nothing to do with people's immune system. <laughs> right. And I'm going through this procedure where they are getting rid of my immune system. Right. And this is going on. So in my mind, I'm thinking, uh, unless God moves in a mighty way, this is not going to happen this year. Like I really thought that I would have to wait until they either came up with a vaccine or the numbers were just so low that it, it wasn't a concern for them. I mean, that's, that's where I thought I was going to be. So I never thought that what is today? The 20th. Yeah. I never thought on March 20th, 2021, I would be recovering from the HSCT procedure. (laughs) I I just, I, I, I thought it would be where I would possibly be starting it right now. Sure. Well, it's a healthy space, right? To give yourself the space to like, know that it may take time. Yeah. So of course, you know, everything did keep moving forward. It did. And when, let's see, I had the Acrevis in 
the last dose of it was like March of 2020. Yeah, I thought it was about a year ago. Yeah. So, you know, they they always recommend that six-month washout. Sure. Even though, like, Cleveland was saying that that washout was not necessary. <laughs> it just so happened that when I started the HSCT stuff, you know, like collecting the stem cells and everything, that I was at my six-month mark anyway. So April, May, June, July, yeah, because they started scheduling everything August, September. So I was well past that six-month mark anyway. And so that's a relief. What were your strategies to not be striving and just yield to their lead? You know, I have been like, after all the frustrations I had with my neurologist here locally in the tri-state area, when I first got diagnosed with MS back in 2016, you know, that, that relationship with with that neurologist, it just, it didn't really go well. Um, it didn't really work out for me. So I've always been a little bit defensive and even a, I've always had a little bit of anxiety mm-hmm. <laughs> seeing the neurologist. Mm-hmm. But uh, I believe that going and seeing a neurologist at Cleveland and the attitude that they have there really broke down the walls. And of course, once I ended up seeing Dr. Cohen, he just basically demolished the rest of the wall that that was still there. That's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, they're just, they're so compassionate. So I had to trust, you know, I had to trust what they were doing. And when all of these uncertainties kept coming up, it was still hard, you know, it was still hard to leave that trust into their hands, like you said, and just say, you know what, I've got to leave it up to them. And I believe that it was my faith and my relationship that I had with my Savior, with, with Jesus. I, I believe that that's what kept me going, because from the time that I had started Going to Cleveland, you know, like when God opened up those doors and I started going there for my MS. I mean, I really have been praying a lot about lead me in the right direction. Show me, you know, put me in contact with the people who are smarter than I am when it comes Mm -hmm. to this disease (laughs) and that are going to make decisions because they want to see me have a better life. So because I knew that that's what I, when I prayed, I knew that that's what God wanted to. Like I knew that I just had a peace when I was directed to Cleveland. And then every time I would come in contact with someone else, you know, with, you know, like helping me through this process, I'm like, this is amazing. This has got to be what God wants Mm, for my life. So, you know, a lot of that really got me through because there were times like I still had the doubts in my mind. And I know that through the process, like 
when I got released out of the hospital, I'd even, you know, texted you or emailed you a few times Mm -hmm. because I was like, this is what I'm experiencing today. And, you know, in the back of my mind, like, I'm like, well, I had this procedure done and I know it had to have halted it because I've seen these little improvements, but these things are happening too. So does it mean it didn't work? You know? And um, so I was released. This is another cool part of the story. I went back to Cleveland to start the process to, you know, reset the immune system Um, I went in October of 2020. The stem cell collection was in September. Okay, so mobilization was September. Yeah, September. Then I got to come home for two weeks. Right. And then I went back in October to be admitted. So on October 29th, I received my stem cells back. So I got my new immune system. Mm. And... They told me I could be in the hospital for up to 30 days. I was only in there for 20 days. Nice. Yeah. So I was released on November the 10th and I had to stay in Cleveland for 30 more days. Right. And I could, I had to be within 25 minutes of the hospital. So we ended up staying in Independence, Ohio, which was kind of cool because, (laughs) The church that I go to and a lot of people that that I'm friends with, they live in Independence, Kentucky. Oh, neat. Yeah. And so the saying for that city is it's the heart of Kenton County. Mm. And in Cuyahoga County, they have an Independence, Ohio. And on their water tower, it says the heart of Cuyahoga County. Wow. And, you know, that's where I grew up. Really? Or I spent a little bit of time there growing up anyway, a few years from second grade through sixth grade. Wow. I had no idea. Yep. It was not Independence, Ohio. It was Bay Village, Ohio, which is a teeny tiny little town right on Lake Erie. But yeah, same county. Wow. So, um... So Independence, Ohio is a very nice area, you know, a few restaurants there and uh, just a kind of a, it kind of has that small town feel, even though you drive 20 minutes north and you're in Cleveland. Yeah. Yeah. It was (laughs) a great place to grow up. So we really had a good time there. And uh, while I was there for those 30 days, you know, I did have a lot of roller coaster days. There were there were some days I just all I did was lay around. I just I felt exhausted. Well, sure, but you went through myeloablative chemo. Yes, yes, which is and a so, few more doses of chemo. Yes, it was. Um, I also thought that I was going to have to go back to the hospital um, every so many days, but. <laughs> After after I got released, I think I went to the hospital three times for follow-ups. Like blood draws. Yeah, blood draws. They sometimes would give me an infusion of fluids or anything else I would need. 
I had to have fluids. I never had to have platelets or anything like that once I was released from the hospital. Oh, good. Did you have yeah. those while you were inpatient? I did. I did too. Um, I think that's yeah. a normal thing. They gave me platelets twice. They did. Me too. And I got one bag of hemoglobin. Yeah, I and didn't I am end up ever, with any hemoglobin. I'm ever grateful for blood donors. Yes, I am too. <laughs> I am too. And, you know, before I before I was put on a medication f- to um, control my blood clotting disorder, um, I used to donate blood all the time. Like one year I be, I was a gallon donor. I was. Wow. Um, yeah. So I'm very grateful. I mean, I know what it is to be a blood donor. So um, I'm also grateful for those that, you know, have donated blood um, so that I could go the, through this procedure and get yeah. some of those products back, you right, know. Right, right. So that's so, good, though. You only really had to go back three times, you said, in the 30 days. Yeah. I After, like, the third visit, they said, well, your numbers keep going up, and you must be doing good with eating and everything because um, everything looks good. So as long as you're not having any problems, all we need for you to do is go have your blood draws once a week. So I didn't have to go back for any visits until um, like around December 9th. I think the 9th and 10th were my two busy days. Um, That was right at the end of my 30-day time frame. Mm. The thing that happened to me in December was that they thought that they were going to have to give me rituxan because my Epstein-Barr virus count went way high. (laughs) Um, Trying to remember what my first count was. I I think it was like 10, was it 10,000? It was in the thousands. Yeah, it was. Which is like five times higher than it should be or something ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. Because, well, it's supposed to be under 500. Right. So so mine was at 10. And they were like, um, we need to do this drug, but we have to get approval from your insurance. It's not so high that we're worried, but it is high enough that, you know, we do need to start moving forward with this drug. I really did not want to have to take that drug. Sure. Um, But if the numbers weren't going to come down, then, you know, I, I had no other choice. You know, I couldn't let the Epstein-Barr virus get out of control. So yeah, well, you mentioned it can cause like organ failure. Yeah. Yeah. The Epstein-Barr virus, when it comes back, it doesn't really, the way that, I understood it. It doesn't really come back as like your normal, oh, I have an achy neck, you know, like when you have the mono. mono. Uh-huh. Um, instead, it can cause organ failure. I'm like, yeah, we don't want that. <laughs> don't want that. So um, I did a lot of praying and I, you know, was texting and messaging people. I think I even did a Facebook live post where I was like, you know, for those that are praying, 
you know, start praying hard because I really don't want to take this drug. But if that's what I have to do, then that's what I'll do. So then I went back for the next blood draw and it went down to like 4,000 something. So it was like it dropped in half. Which is amazing. Yeah. And then the next week they did the blood draw and it dropped down to like 1,500. So it, it was like it was moving. like half again. Yeah, you know, moving like it in just the right kept, direction. It was moving in the right direction. So then when I had my follow-up visit with Dr. Michel on the, I think it was the ninth, um, they had done another blood draw and um, they didn't have the results. It takes them down here to get an Epstein-Barr count. It takes like four days. What? <laughs> but yeah, but in Cleveland, they have an answer in 48 hours or less. Mm. <laughs> so um, they call. So then my phone rings uh, on the 10th, which I had appointments on the 10th. But um, my phone ring. No, no, no. I take that back. It was late in on the 9th because I had appointments on the 10th. So late on the 9th, my phone rings and I'm like, this is a weird number. Well, it was Dr. Michel, and he said, I'm just calling, and I have Jenny here with me, and I just wanted to know if you happen to see your latest results for the Epstein-Barr, and I said, no, I, I said, I haven't. I said, I haven't even got notification yet. He goes, well, um, it is down to around 1,200. He goes, so we are canceling the rituxan. He goes, it can, because your number keeps going down. <laughs> he goes, so you don't have to stay up here for longer. You can go home if you want. Mm. But um, in order for you to be able to go home, we need for you to like connect with an oncologist down there. So I reached out to a few friends and was able to set up a connection with an oncologist like within a day. <laughs> and um, so I called and told him, you know, where my appointment was and everything. And he said, well, you can go home. And he goes, I'll send them your paperwork so they can do your blood test. And we'll follow up with you each week. You know, if that number starts trending upward, then we'll make decisions from there. Otherwise, I'll see you in January. Nice. Yeah. So my number did keep going down. And um, by the time I went back to Cleveland, it actually came back as undetectable. Amazing. Yeah. So and I just had a blood test uh, last week because it's always done around the 10th of the month. And it also came back undetectable. So no more problems with Epstein-Barr. Good, good, good. Yeah. That's amazing. So So other than that memorable experience, do you have anything from like your time inpatient that was memorable for you? Well, being the first patient, because, you know, I was the first one admitted for MS, you know, having this done. 
So it was kind of cool because the nurses, when they would come in and they would see my chart and it said diagnosis, multiple sclerosis, <laughs> they would stare at the chart, you know, on my computer or on their computer. Mm. And I'm like, is everything okay? And they're like, well, um, it says your diagnosis is multiple sclerosis. And I said, yeah, that's right. And they're like, so, you know, they were kind of like, they didn't great come right out and ask, but they were kind of like, so what's all the chemo for? Right. <laughs> and I said, well, I don't know if anybody communicated this to you. And I said, and it sounds like that they haven't. I said, but I'm Cleveland Clinic's first patient to have HSCT, which they were like, yeah, which is normally done for people with leukemia or something, you know, they're like, um, I said, well, I'm the first one to have it done for multiple sclerosis. And they were like, well, why would they do that? Oh. And I said, well, because multiple sclerosis is your immune system attacking your nervous system. So HSCT resets your immune system. So they're wiping out that faulty immune system and putting your stem cells back in for your body to build a new immune system that will not attack your nervous system. They were like, that is so cool. <laughs> and you kind know? of common sense. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, so they were really, you know, like, some of the nurses knew exactly what was going on, but some of them were like, sure, really? And then when they found out that I was the first one, they were like, you know what? It's just, it never ceases to amaze me when this hospital is doing something new or innovative or, and, and they, and they would say, that's why I like working here because this hospital is not afraid to do something new. That's cool. I'm like, that's good to hear. <laughs> so my inpatient experience with the hospital staff, I mean, like I really was treated like a rock star because on some level I kind of was a star. Sure. You know, and then um, after I was there a week, then patient number two came. And if you look on my website, which is rooftopprayerwarriors.com, um, you can read my journey there and you will read all about patient number two and you'll see their picture. And um, so then I had somebody I could go visit while I was there. Sure. <laughs> so I did go visit and um, we took some photos and, and had a good time. I also got to meet the first patient in the clinical trial side that had HSCT done. Mm, okay. And super guy, his wife was so sweet. I only got to visit them once because they were kind of quiet. And they just wanted to know how I was doing because I, I was, even though they were like, they came in a week later, you know, I was still ahead of them by a week. So they just wanted to know how I was doing and if I was having any trouble what were some things that I was experiencing? How did I feel? That kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. All the things that everyone wonders that is yeah. hard to explain until you're actually in it. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, they were asking those questions for the same reason that I was asking you questions, 
which was because I had never experienced anything like that before. And I just wanted to be certain that the way I felt was normal, Mm -hmm. you know? Oh yeah. And, um, the doctors always would reassure me when they would come in every day, you know, that yes, this is normal. Yes, this is normal, (laughs) you know? So, you know, it was good to have all those reassurances, you know, Oh, yeah, that's the power of community, right? Yeah, yeah. So inpatient, you know, it was great. They do have the uh, laundry facility there. So, you know, I only packed like a week's worth of clothes and I would just do wash, you know, every few days because it was a it was one of those small apartment washers. Mm. So you couldn't put a lot of stuff in it. But, um, you know, you could do like two or three outfits at a time or whatever they also had like a community fridge so you just put your name on the stuff and if it was something that lasts that would last longer than a week you put the date on it that they could throw it away and somebody would come in there and clean out stuff you know and throw it away as it expired or on clean out day if it wasn't marked it would just get thrown away (laughs) sure well that's interesting that they allowed food from multiple people to be in a in a common space. Yeah, they did. It just had to be in a container and it had to be marked. And so were you allowed to have someone with you inpatient? I was allowed to have someone there inpatient, but I could only have that one person. So I wasn't allowed multiple visitors. But the other thing was, is whoever came could not stay like overnight. Um, And that was because of the whole COVID thing, which didn't make sense to me because I'm like, well, once you've got that person in the hospital, why would you let them leave the hospital only to come back the next day from the environment where the virus is at? (laughs) So because of that rule, um, that would have meant that my my mom is the one that uh, went up with me. Mm-hmm. And that would have meant that she would have had to have stayed somewhere by herself overnight. And because we really weren't sure of who else was coming and when, because I didn't find that out until pretty much the last minute, she didn't want to stay up there by herself. So I and I told her, I said, well, I understand, <laughs> uh, you know. So I said, I really don't want you to stay at a hotel by yourself either. So she, once I was admitted and everything was settled and I was good to go, she came back home and then everybody just called me every day (laughs) to make sure that I was doing okay. Nice. Yeah. And then when it got time for me to be discharged, um, I called to let her know. She came up, checked into the hotel, and then came to the hospital and picked me up. And we went back to the hotel. Nice. So she could be there with you during those 30 days of extension. Yes. Observation, if you will. Yes. So mom and I lived together for 30 days. And insurance (laughs) paid for that, right? Yes, it did. Which is amazing. Yeah. Yeah, um, Cigna's policy, the way that it is written, if you have to have this treatment done and it's done out of town, they will reimburse you up to $10,000 for travel and hotel expenses. 
Amazing. So, so food was on your own. Yeah, food was on my own. I had to uh, do that on my own. And that there's a lot of places right there close to Independence to get groceries. Um, so did you have a room, a hotel room with like a kitchenette? We did. Nice. We stayed at, we stayed at the Candlewood Inn in Independence, and it had a kitchenette, a small living room. The bedroom had two queen beds, and then on you went around the corner, and the bathroom was there. Nice. Yeah, it was it was really nice. It was, and they gave us a special rate. The special rate at first was still it, it was going to be a little over a hundred dollars a day after taxes, but I kind of talked to them and shared my story, and I asked them. I said, "Well, is there any way you could make it to where even after taxes it was under a hundred dollars?" And they did give me a better rate to where it was under a hundred dollars a day. Amazing. Yeah. And of course, you know, I have all their information and they said, if you know of anyone else that's going to come up and have that done and they're looking for some place to stay, we would love for them to stay here. Amazing. Yeah. So I have their contact information. I've passed that information along to Cleveland because Cleveland clinic does give you a list of places that, give you a special rate. And this particular hotel was not on the list only because they were brand new. They had just opened Mm. the spring of last year. Oh, wow. So that was nice too. And they were very good about, we had them come in, you know, come into the room once a week to like change the bed linens and all that stuff. And they always came and did that when we were gone. So like we would go to the lobby and say, tomorrow we're going to be gone from this time to this time. Can you take care of our room at that time? And they would rearrange the schedule to make sure that that person was in there, did those items and left um, before we got back. That's fantastic. Yeah, they were really good about that. Um, The one thing that we did ask them to not take with them were the towels and we kept the towels and laundered them ourselves because they do have on-site laundry there. Okay. Well, and it nice. was free. Yeah. It was included with your hotel room. Amazing. So yeah. So you didn't have to pay any extra for that. Um, had washer and dryer and it was like, it was out in the hallway kind of around the corner. So it was real convenient and, um, They did put us on the upper floor, so it was quieter. So that was nice, too. And I'm sure it wasn't very crowded. No, not at that time. Mm -mm. It was a little bit more crowded when we were up there for my checkup in February because, uh, you know, some of the restrictions, they were starting to get a little bit more lenient, sure, lenient, you know, so and people felt a little more confident about being out and about. So um, there were a few more people up there when we were there the last time. So it was a little bit noisier, but we only stayed one night um, because I was just there for a checkup. And um, and after that checkup, which was in February, um, they said, you're doing so well that because uh, originally I was going to have to go back once a month is what they told me. 
that's the way their schedule is written. You go back once a month up to your 12th month. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then there's certain things that they do like at the six month mark. And then there's certain things they do when it gets closer to the 12 month mark. So when I was there in February, they said, you're doing so well that we don't see a need for you to have to come back every month. So we're going to send orders to your local physician and they can do the blood test and fax them back to us. And then we will follow up with you each month after the blood test results. And um, if you have any problems, you've got our phone number. So you just call us and we'll tell you what to do. Nice. So you don't have to come back and see us until May. We are so grateful to Dwayne for sharing so many valuable resources and insights about his experience with Cleveland Clinic as the first patient to be treated within the Beat MS myeloablative protocol. So much that we have decided to share this interview again as a two-part episode. So tune in next week and learn more about how Dwayne is recovering and the strategies that have helped him get back to work. We hope you'll join us next week. Thanks for tuning in. sure to visit our website where you can find notes from today's episode, submit ideas or feedback, and connect with resources and the HSCT Warriors Incorporated nonprofit. As always, special thanks to musical genius Billy Alitzauser for sharing his superpowers to create the soundtrack, edit and produce the audio to make this podcast possible. You can find us both when you subscribe on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you find your podcasts. It has been so great to connect with warriors worldwide, and we would love to hear from you about how the podcast has helped your journey with autoimmune disease. Take a moment to connect with us online, on Instagram, or share this episode with someone you know that would enjoy listening. In the meantime, we hope you'll tune in next Wednesday for another episode highlighting another warrior. Until then, be a snowflake and embrace your superpowers. Be kind. Be well. Jen Stansberry Koenig and the producers disclaim medical influence and responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. If you think you have a medical problem, please contact a licensed physician.